Alrighty, our sermon text this morning is Psalm 5. To the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. and turn to Psalm 5, Psalm chapter 5, if you haven't already. God, we thank you that we can cry out to you, and you hear us. God, our our desperate cries, our lonely cries, God, are, are never falling on deaf ears. But you are a good God who loves us, and you will hold us in your hand, and you will keep us, God. And as we've been learning in John, not one of us will be Let go, God, and you hold us so closely that you will ever hear your saints crying out to you. We think maybe that you don't hear, but we know that you do. So right now, God, we pray to you and ask that you would transform our hearts, that you would transform our minds, God, that you can form us into the image of your Son through this song. God, let us see the beauty of your Son and delight in Him through this soul. Amen. Have you ever spent the night crying out to God? Perhaps it was when your parents got a divorce and you're a young child and you're crying out to God night after night after night, wondering why your life is being torn apart. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis that you receive and you and your family cry out to God night after night after night, groaning and crying out to God. Maybe it's your husband's addiction to pornography and you just feel completely helpless. And you cry out to God again and again and again. Or maybe it's your own sin. I hope it is your own sin that drives you to cry out to God again and again and again. In the midst of these cries... Do you ever feel like you just 
doesn't hear you. That he's not there. That the lights are out, everything's dark, and you're crying out to him. And he doesn't hear you. Because he's distant. He might be powerful and supreme and sovereign, but he's so far away that he doesn't really care about me. His creation to uphold in his hand, and that's wonderful, but here I am again. At two in the morning in a dark room, crying out to God, but trying to do it silently so I don't wake up my spouse and my kids. What do you do when you're in this situation? Do you become bitter towards God? Do you become an atheist and just throw your hands up and say, well, I gave it a shot? No. What do, you, what do you do? You turn to the Word of God. Where else are you going to go? When you're broken and you have nothing, you go back to the Word of God. And then you are reassured that God does hear you. You heard David as he's crying out. He heard his own son as he's crying out, as we'll talk about. And he certainly, he certainly hears you as well as you are crying out to him. So this is the great reassurance that we have in this text. Is that when you are crying out to God, when you are groaning in agony, that He will hear you. You have a God who loves you. And He will hear you. So that's kind of our main idea here. Is that the Lord hears our prayers. And not only that, but he provides protection. The Lord hears our prayers and then he provides protection. And yes, it's, it's only what, what do we have, 12 verses here, but we have five points out of, it's what the text had, I don't know. So you read Aristotle on rhetoric and he says, you need to have three points and that's what most sermons then do. But I don't know, the text, there's like five movements here. So we have five points, all right. Number one, the, the desperate cries of the king, verses one through three. David's a king. And we see him here desperately crying out to God. Verses 4 through 6, we're going to see the exclusion of the evil. It's pretty serious pretty quick here. You have the desperate cries of the king, the exclusion of the evil then. But then you have David who is able to come into the presence of God, but he's able to come in. And enter in through love. That's the means by which he's going to come then into the presence of God. Is through this love. Back to the evil. You have the destruction of the depraved. The destruction of the depraved. Well, the depraved ones are the ones being destroyed? Yes. Well, are the depraved ones actually the ones trying to destroy other people? Absolutely. The destruction of the depraved. And then finally, verses 11 and 12, you have refuge and rejoicing. Refuge and rejoicing as we go to God in prayer. Let's go to the text again. Verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my, God, my King and my God, for to you I pray. 
O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, for several months, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And, and every several weeks, we kind of throw in, Adam and I will throw in something of, how do we read Gospel? How do we read Gospel narratives? And how do we understand them? Likewise, here now, we're going to be working. We take the summer off, whatever we're doing, do a summer of Psalms and just rejoice in God's goodness. And so we're going to be talking about poetry in the next, uh, next week or the following and how to do it. But this week we're going to be looking at how do we approach the Psalms just in general. What's our approach to the Psalms? Well, we see that David's the author. Let's go to 2 Samuel 23. We'll go, and, we'll go on a little journey here. 2 Samuel Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. This is David on his deathbed. <clears throat> David's last song, 2 Samuel 23. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares. And we're reading this because David is the author of the song and so many of the other songs. The man who was raised on high declares, the anointed one of God, of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Out of all that David had done, conquering the Philistines, killing Goliath, everything else, peace in the north and the south and the east and the west, through conquest, all of that that he had done, he had been given the promise that his descendants will reign on the throne forever. How is he regarded on his deathbed? Is it the sweet psalmist of Israel? Whatever you do really doesn't matter in comparison to your worship towards God. Your David is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And what is he saying? As he's writing these psalms, and then by inference all of the other psalms, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, that The rock of Israel spoke to me. Well, the rock of Israel, who's the rock? Well, it's Christ. The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men righteously, who rules over in fear of God. So, what we see here in the Psalms, and even David is, is acknowledging, I'm not just writing songs that we can sing as a people, he's realizing, even as he is writing them, there's something else going on here. There's something else transpiring here that God is speaking through me about someone else. So then how do we approach our psalms? Let's consider this. On one end, we, we could just take it as this is... This is David writing. It says David's the author, so this is by David and for David. Or we can go, well, the, now we have the New Testament, right? That's good. So we just kind of slap a, uh, a Jesus sticker onto our reading of the Psalms. So it's not just David, but we'll kind of slap a Jesus sticker on there. Or you could say, 
some of them, some of these psalms are, I think, pointing to Christ. I think. Go a little bit further. I would invite you, as you read the psalms, every one, every one, so many of them, you can just read them as the groaning and the crying of the Messiah through David, which is what we've just read about in 2 Samuel 23. So I would, I would say all of them are of or by or, or to or certainly about the Messiah. So Psalm 1 and 2, the blessed man. Who's, who's the blessed man? Well, it's Christ. Psalm 2, the Lord, I will tell the decree the Lord said unto me, you are my son. Well, who's that about? It's about Christ, right? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, when he's up on the cross, Christ is crying out that. And what I would tell you is that he's not just quoting it. He's living out what David has already known for this whole time, that this is pointing towards the Messiah. And Christ is there on the cross saying, yes, this is me. I am the Messiah that everything has been pointing to. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night and I have no rest. It's not just that that is about Christ. Go through the rest of the Psalm 22. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. And my heart is like wax. It is melted. It is melted within me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have divided up my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. All of this. All of this is pointing towards Christ. Okay. So. 2 Samuel 23. David is writing and declaring on his deathbed. The sweet psalmist of Israel. How he's known for his worship. Even though he's done everything else. He's declaring. What I'm saying is about something else. God is speaking through me about the rock of Israel which is Christ, the Messiah. Psalm 1 and 2, it's about Christ. Psalm 22, clearly about Christ. Well, then what about, turn the page, what about Psalm 23 then? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This too is the cries of the Messiah crying out to God the Father that he would lead him. And so when we approach the Psalms, I would say, when we come to these the Lord is my shepherd. Don't just put yourself in it right away. Pause. Read it through Christ and through Christ. And then you can see the richness of it. How Christ has cried this out and God the Father has accomplished it through Christ. So, 
Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Verse 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? It's not you, it's not me. They're, they're pulling us, conforming us, training us to see the richness of the Messiah. That's the beauty of the Psalms. So as when we look in the Old Testament, well, you, you can keep going. Later in verse 24, in uh, Psalm 24, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancients of doors, that the King of glory may come in. You can see the triumphal entry of Christ. All of these are pointing towards Christ. So, when we're in the Old Testament, when we're in the Psalms, beloved, they don't have their value if you can read and find something from the New Testament. That, their value isn't there. Their value is that they point towards the Messiah, just as everything in the New Testament is pointing towards the Messiah. Train your eyes to see it in that way. Train your heart to adore the Psalms in that way. So, consider the author, David, as we'll do. Then we'll see it. How is this true in the life of Christ? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Here's the king, King David. And he has all of his courts, and he has his assistants, and he has his counsel, and he has his wise men. But in his trouble, who is he crying out to? It's not these men, but he's crying out to, he's crying out to God. There's no other place for him to go. And he's the king. And we, what, what ends up happening is that we live under this delusion. If I could just be at a different station in life... If I could just arrive at this platform, then I would be a little bit sheltered. Or I'd be immune from the struggles of, and troubles of life. And we don't think of it in our current situation, but we see other people. And we think, oh, if only I could get there, then everything would be fine. If only. If only I could get married. Then I wouldn't be so lonely. And everything would be fine. And then I wouldn't be groaning and I wouldn't be crying out. Or not only that, but if I could just then have kids, then everything would be fine. My groaning, my crying would end. Or if I could just have a little bit more money or if I could have a better career, whatever it is. But here's David. You go to the end of that line. You can play that game, but you go to the end of the line. There's David, the king of a theocracy, of God's national people. Go to the end of the line. There's David, way, way out there. There he is, crying and groaning to God. So we live under this delusion That we would have peace if only something was different. But it's, it's devastating. That lie is devastating. 
If you think you're only groaning and crying out to God because of your current situation, well, then it makes you unsettled with a sovereign God who has placed you in that situation. It's okay to be there. God has put you there. And it drives you to the next station of life, the next whatever it might be, rather than to Christ. So it's, it's devastating. It's devastating to your soul to play this game. I'd rather be starving and driven to Christ than be starving and driven to food. Consider the, the prayers that are rolling out of this king, out of King David. I don't know if, to be honest, I don't know if my prayers and my groanings would always be characterized as the same thing. We gather on the table and we're praying as family or as after devotional or whatever it might be, and we fold our hands and audibly <laughs> pray with clear words. Don't mumble, right? And we're rather confident. We're rather confident in that situation that God is hearing us. But when everything is unraveling in your life and you begin to groan and to cry out to God, it's in these moments of absolute desperation that you actually begin to think that God is not hearing me. When everybody's gathered together and the kids are all sitting where they might, should possibly be sitting, okay, God will hear us. As we gather as a congregation to pray, yes, God will hear us, and we're rather confident of that. When everything is unraveling, though, and you're groaning and you're crying, you're less apt to think that God will actually hear it. And that's actually part of the reason why you are crying and sobbing. It's because you think maybe God isn't, isn't hearing me. But go to verse 2. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I pray. There's only one. There's only one to whom you can turn in these situations. My God and my king. David, he's the king of Israel. But the Lord, he's king over David. You can talk to your spouse. You should. You can share with your community group. You should. You should have an open heart. But all of your prayers and all of your hope must be directed towards God. There's only one, one focus point at the end of all of this. And that is God. But think about it. Who else is going to save you? He's your God and He's your King. He's your God who has created everything. And He's your King who rules over all of His creation. Where else are you going to turn? Who else is going to help you? As you're groaning in your darkness, who else is going to do it? Ah, oh, it's the Lord. He's the only one that you can cry to. 
Verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and you watch. You hear my prayer. You hear my voice. This is a, a declarative sentence. It's true. What a, what a beautiful thing. What a glorious thing. This is, not, this is not a wishing or this is not a, him musing that maybe, maybe there's a God out there who does hear our prayer. Wouldn't that be nice? No. With absolute confidence. Just as he is God and just as he is king, yes, he will hear my prayer. What a glorious thing. It's our groaning and our crying that he will prayer, that he will hear. Do you actually believe this? Do you actually know that God will never leave you nor forsake you? That he actually does hear all of your prayers and crying and groaning out to him? What a gift we have. Who else has this? You make an idol out of wood? Really? He's going to hear you? No, you, you can turn him and he faces that way. Like, no, you, you have nothing. You have some demigod that has come down to earth? Come on, that's, that's foolishness. We have a sovereign God who, who creates everything, but he loves you. And it's not just he hears the cries of his people as a whole, but no, like you, as you are crying at night. He hears that. What great assurance that God is so good to us. And these agonizing moments, they're actually quite, they're deep and they're personable. And nearly all of this is done alone. As this characterization of this prayer, of, of groaning, and the sound of our crying. It's incredibly personal. And it's often done when no one else is going to hear it. And you kind of want it that way, partly. But God hears it. Even though you might shelter people from hearing it, or you hide these thoughts from other people, God hears them. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. This is a, the, the word arach here. So you go, for, uh, go to Leviticus chapter 1 if you want. I'll read it if you don't want to turn there. If it's too much work, how about that? You don't have to. Leviticus chapter 1. Verses uh, 7. The sons of Aaron and the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood, same word, arak, and arrange wood on the fire. Verse 8, then Aaron's sons and priests shall arrange the, pre the pieces and the head of the suit of the wood, which is on the fire. And again, arranging of this wood on the fire as well. In the verse 12, you shall cut it into pieces with his head and verse down, and they shall arrange them on the wood which is on fire. 
Pulling in this same language is what David's doing. So he's painting this picture of that. You have the priest who is arranging this wood for the sacrifice that it would be burned and go up to heaven. Same, David's kind of pulling that imagery and placing it in the context of his prayers. Such that he's situating his prayers that they would go up as you, you burn the sacrifice and this pleasing aroma goes up to God the Father. In the same way, David is arranging his prayers that they would go up, that he would see them go up to God the Father. What a beautiful imagery. And then what does he do? He stands and he watches. And he's waiting and he's expecting an answer. We often pray, I often pray. Little confession time. And I don't know if I really expect God to answer it. Can I kind of to hedge myself, right? Because if he doesn't answer it, I don't want to think ill of God. Because I think he should have answered it. So as we cry out to God, you know, heal, restore our marriage, save my parents who don't believe, as we cry out to God for that, heal my spouse, we have to remember that we are crying out and praying to the God, the King of all. And we've become so refined, perhaps, in our faith that we've become skeptical that this God and this King would actually answer our prayers. But here's the psalmist, David, who's seeing his prayers rise up as the fragrant offering, and he stands there. And he watches. His feet are set. He's not going to move until he sees God answer. Just as the priest and the prophets would stand back, they would arrange an altar and stand back sometimes and await God to consume the sacrifice. Perfect imagery of this is Elijah, 1 Kings 18. Right before he he kills all the prophets of Baal and he's out on the run and he's dealing with the king and Jezebel. And they gather up all the priests of Baal. And there's a little bit of showdown. 1 Kings 18, verse 33, it says, He put the wood in order, same rock, same word. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water in the midst of a three-year drought. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Go down to verse 37. And he's praying. And he will wait and he will watch. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know you, O Lord, that you are God, that you have turned their hearts back. And he waits. He waits. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Same thing with David later in his life. 
He takes the census. The nation is going to be judged because of God's un- David's ungodliness. My, we're out of time. And he makes he, this prayer, First Chronicles, and he awaits and the fire comes down and consumes this sacrifice. That's his same posture that David is having with his prayer that he will raise it up and he will not go anywhere, but he will wait for it to be answered. Have that same confidence as you are praying. Verse 4. We'll speed it up. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell within you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Change your perspective of God. Right now. How many times have we been told that God hates the sin and loves the sinner. As if it's just the sin that's going to be sent to hell and the sinner is going to be left there. Well, what do you do with this verse? What does it say? The boastful shall not stand before you rise. You hate the evildoer. Not just the sin. All of their person, you hate them. Their sin is a reflection of who they are. And this is the confidence of David's prayer. That you will hear me because I am righteous. I can come into your presence, but I know you will not hear the unrighteous. Evil will not dwell with you. You hate them. Verse 7. But through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down in your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Look, in verse 5, the evil ones, they they can't come and stand in your presence, in your eyes. But what about David? He's able to. I will enter your house, verse 7. What is the means by which he's able to do this? How can David come into the presence of God when there's so many people who have done the same thing that he's done? He can confidently come into the presence of God knowing that his prayers are heard. Everybody else who's done the same things that he's done, Bathsheba, Uriah, everything else, they're excluded. Why? Wrestle with this. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, the means by which David is able to have confidence to come into the presence of God, the means of David's confidence that his prayers will be heard, is not because of his own righteousness. So don't let your sin hold you back from actually praying to God. Let it compel you to go to God all the more. Knowing that God in his steadfast love. That's the means by which you will be able to come into the presence of God. And that he will hear your prayers and your crying and your groaning. Is because of his steadfast love. And if it was built on your righteousness it wouldn't last. It wouldn't endure. But it's built upon the righteousness of Christ. That shall not be undone. 
For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. David's crying out, Make make your way straight before me. Why? Because there's those around him who want him to be destroyed. You see how this is interacting here, back and forth, back and forth. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. I want to go to you, but I have these enemies. How are they characterized? Well, you go down, their throat is an open grave. And they flatter with their tongue. Lord, lead me to you. I can't do it. The world around me will suck me in. I can't do this apart from you. Good Romans 3. Who are these people? Romans 3. There's none righteous, not even one. Verse 10, verse 11. There's none who understand. There's none who seeks God. They have all turned aside. and they've, Together they've become useless. There's none who do good, not even one. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. Paul pulls on this verse to say, who are these people? Who are the enemies? It's everyone. All of us are born into this. This is all of us apart from Christ. Which is why you you must turn to Christ. All of us then are... How are you going to stand in in the presence of God? God hates you. Apart from Christ. He hates you. There's no neutrality. And it's not so He hates you, but admit it, you hate him. You're not going to listen to him. You're not going to bow down. You're not going to worship him. You hate him and he hates you. The feeling's mutual, if that's any consolation. You must turn to Christ. Plead with him that he would save your souls. So how do we, where do we see Christ in all this? We talked about how this, the Psalms point to Christ in everything. Give ear to my word, O Lord, and consider my groaning. You can see him in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. Crying out to God, crying out to God the Father. Sweat coming down, drops of blood coming down as sweat because of the agony that is there. And he was confident that his father heard him. He knew that his father heard him. And his conclusion of his prayer was, not my will, but your will be done. O Lord, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Who's the sacrifice? It's Christ. 
being sacrificed in the morning. And the fire did come down and the sacrifice was consumed. And the wrath of God the Father was poured out on his son. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Well, Christ will come back, and he will come back riding on a horse that is named Faithful and True, and he will execute judgment over all of those people who stand in opposition to him, and he is clothed with a robe that is dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has written, the name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is Christ who will come back and execute judgment on the enemies of God. Through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. You have Christ descending back up to God the Father. Hebrews 9. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the one, of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, but as a high priest goes in once a year, but he goes in. It is through Christ that you are able to enter into this presence of God and enter into this temple of God. Let's go to the last part here. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them. And those who love you, love your name, exalt in you. For you are the blessed, for you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him as with favor of a shield. And it is Christ that is our shield. It is Christ that will cover us with the favor of God forever. So what do we do, briefly? What do we do? Keep praying to God with the deepest parts of your soul. Keep praying to God. You have a God who hears you. A God who hears you. Go to him with with all your crying, with all your groaning, with all your sorrow and anxiety. Go to him. And this lack of prayer is actually a sign of self-idolatry. That you think, ah, I can handle it. I've got it. No, but the man who knows that he is dirt, that he is nothing but the breath of God in dirt, will go crying to this God who has made him to preserve him, to keep him. So what do we do? Pray to God with the deepest parts of your soul. Number two, hate your sin as much as God does. Hate. Hate your sin. The hatred of God towards sin is just as strong as his tenderness towards those who are his children. Let us never think so lightly, even for a moment, think so lightly over something that God hates. Look, it's not just the rapist and the murderers. It's those who speak lies, the deceitful ones, 
who God hates. Don't diminish your sin. I think you can push aside some like, oh, I'm not transgender. I'm not homosexual. Heaven forbid I don't run for government office. Like, I should be good. No. The small, lying, deceiving. God hates those. Then finally, wait and trust. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. God will answer your prayers. He will. God will answer your prayers. And much of what we sing is an adoration of who God is, of His holiness and His love, but also a victory that God has answered prayers, that sin has been conquered. You think prayers aren't answered? Go read Genesis. We deserve hell. But God has sent His Son as this glorious plan to redeem His people whom He has chosen before the foundation of the world that He will hold them and He will never let them go. And here we think, God, you won't answer my prayer? Are you kidding me? He's pulling you into eternity to worship Him and be with Him in a new heavens and a new earth. Absolutely, He answers your prayer. Stand and wait. Wait and watch. He will answer it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank You that You hear our prayers. What a glorious, delightful thing that we deserve death. We delight in that which you hate, yet still your son has been sent to redeem us. And we ask that you would redeem us, God. If we haven't placed all of our trust and hope in you, God, conquer our hearts. That is our prayer, that you would conquer our hearts. And God, if we have trust you, Dig deep and pull out the sin that is layered upon layered upon layered, deeper than we can ever imagine, God. We ask that you would pull that out and give us the confidence to see your goodness and your gloriousness, your, your patience towards us and your sovereignty and rule and reign over all. God, give us feet and a heart and eyes that will stand and watch and wait for you to send down fire that you would be glorified. And all God's people said, Amen.